we have been moving through 1 Corinthians, uh, looking at Paul's letter to the church there at Corinth. Um, and one of the things that we've noted is that one of the primary pre- reasons that Paul is writing this letter is to deal with problems, with issues that have developed within the church. Errors that people are making, sins that people are committing, um, just wrong mindsets that have settled into this particular congregation, dealing with uh, a variety of them. And and as we've gone through the first three chapters, we've, we've dealt primarily with the issue of unity, that Paul has addressed this disunity that had developed within the church, that the church uh, had settled into factions, groups, uh, uh, different uh, priorities, different leaders that they saw themselves following. I know one was saying, "I follow Paul," and one was saying, "I follow Apollos," and one was saying, "I follow Peter," and and, and they had developed this sort of mindset there in the church that uh, their leaders were the ones that kind of represented who they were. And Paul has tried to argue through this first section that no, it's God that you should be following; that we all serve same God. We all follow the same um, leader in Jesus, and that he is the one that our, 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 our mindset should be directed toward. He is the one that our attention and our allegiance and our focus should be uh, centered upon. And, and he last week we looked at uh, a life well lived. What does that look like to be a believer? And this week we, we deal with the issue of servanthood. And, and what Paul's doing with these, these last two points here um, is he, he's drawing to a conclusion this whole argument about unity. And he's saying to get to this place of unity, to get to this place where we recognize that God is our authority, that God is the one we follow, that Jesus is the one that we submit to. We need to be, first of all, following, pursuing, as we talked about last week, the, the spiritual disciplines. We need to be pursuing those things that represent and reveal Christ, that as we live lives that are committed to Christ's desires and Christ's designs, we draw closer to Jesus. And as we draw closer to Jesus, we'll come to realize and understand just how special, how important, how significant he is to our walk and to our lives. But now he moves to, and he kind of concludes with this idea of servanthood. Now, in this particular passage, he's dealing really with servanthood from the, from the leadership perspective. He, he's, giving, he's saying to the church here at Corinth, let me, let me just reflect upon to you my ideas about servanthood and who I am as your leader, who I am as an apostle, who I am as a so-called authority in this church. But in doing that, he, he's calling all of us to radical servanthood. He's, he's, by, by giving his example of who he is and how he understands his ministry and his role and his purpose, He's proclaiming to us what our mindset, what our perspective should be as well. So let me just start with a question. What is a servant? When you hear that term, when you hear the the idea of a servant, and someone says, you need to be a servant to people, what pops into your head? But what sort of ideas or, or concepts occur to you. The word actually, in the Greek, the word is actually a a reference to a a slave. It's it's actually a little bit stronger than we would often make it uh, in the original Greek. 
uh, we, we kind of, I think, sometimes diminish this idea of servanthood, especially in our, in our modern culture. Because our modern culture has developed a mindset and a perspective, I think, that is very much me first. It's very much a perspective, a, a mindset, an outlook that says, I have to get all I can get for me. I have to do all I can do for me. And, and, and we're bombarded with that idea, whether it's in our advertising or whether it's from our politicians or whether it's from just a, the general feel or, or direction of our culture. We're, we're, we're taught, look out for yourself because no one else is going to. Grab what you can grab from this life because you only go around once. It's what we sometimes hear. But that's so different than what Jesus called us to. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you would be first among my disciples, you must be last. He said, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. He called us to radical servanthood. And this morning as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want us to, to be able to define what radical servanthood really looks like. I want us to be able to answer this question from a biblical perspective, how Paul would have us understand this idea of what it is to be a servant be able to put aside maybe our baggage, some of which may not be the best baggage to carry on this concept of this idea, and to be able to embrace and hold to what it is that Christ has called us to, what it is that Paul identifies here in the book of Corinthians. So turn with me, if you, if you haven't already, to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be looking through this particular chapter, looking at what Paul identifies as radical servanthood. And the the first uh, identifying factor that we see in verses 1 through 5 is that radical servanthood is, some, is expressed or involves faithful stewardship. He says, a person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. So in other words, Paul, moving in from his argument in the previous chapter where he's talked about how some are looking at Apollos or Peter or himself as, as these great people, as these, these people to be put up on pedestals and so forth. Paul says, no, 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 no. This is how I want you to look at us. This is how I want you to understand who we are. We are servants, or as I said, more technically correct in, in their environment, as slaves of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found what? Faithful. Faithful. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart, and then praise will come to each one from God. So he says what? He says managers or servants, what? They're, they're faithful. Now faithful to what? Faithful 
in utilizing their gifts, their talents, their resources. That's what Paul says we need to be faithful in. All of us have, if we're believers, we have what? We have, a, we have a, what we call a spiritual gift. Paul's going to go into this later on in, in the letter to the church of Corinth. A spiritual gift is what? It's, it's an endowment from God given to us through the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out the ministry that God has given this church as a corporate body and us as individuals in a supernatural way. That's a spiritual gift. It's, it's something that, that God has blessed you with that he wants you to use to carry out his ministry, to further his kingdom, to proclaim his glory. Okay. And that's different for each one of us. Paul's going to highlight this later. Some of us have the, the gift of teaching. Some of us have the, the gift of worship, of singing. Some of us have, have the gift of prayer. Some of us have the gift of the evangelist. Some of us have the gift of administration or the gift of service. That is, when, when we do those things, it's different than when other, thing, other people do those things. Because we've been spiritually endowed to carry out that ministry, to carry out that role, to carry out that task. It's something God has blessed us with. That doesn't mean other people can't do the same thing. It just means that when we do it, there's that extra oomph behind it of the Spirit in His work. And Paul says we need to be faithful to use that. Now, why is that an expression of servanthood? That's an expression of servanthood because if you're like me, there are certain things you like to do and certain things that you're not all that crazy about. Right? There are certain things that, man, if I could do that all day, I'd do it all day. And other things, you ask me to do it, and I'll do it. But man, I, I, sometimes I just don't have the right attitude around about it. You know? And Paul wants us to understand that ministry sometimes calls us to activities, endeavors, work. That is not always our favorite thing to do. It's not always our, our favorite thing to, to be involved in. But we have to be faithful to where God leads us and how God directs us. That requires a servant's heart. That requires a mindset that says, it's not my opinion or my desires that are ultimately what matters. It's what God desires that should drive me, that should direct me. Now, he talks here a little bit about judging myself and not conscious of anything. What's he, what's he going on about there? He's saying, I don't do what I do to please you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I don't even do what I do to please me. I do what I do to please the Lord. I do what I do because God's called me to it. It's who he made me. It's how he's shaping me. It's, it's how I'm driven. That's why I do. And he puts in a, a little warning, something he's going to come back to a little bit later here. He says, just don't, don't try and judge people's hearts when they're doing things. Because you don't know. You don't know where their heart is. 
and it won't be until Christ returns and we stand before the judgment seat that we're able to discern exactly what their heart is, what it is that's motivating them, what it is that's driving them. So don't do it. You just go about your business doing the best you can to honor God's desires and God's claim on your life. And one day it'll all become clear. But right now, right now, just do what God's called you to do. Put aside your own desires. Put aside your own commitments. Follow Him. Now, behind that idea is, is in fact, um, a, a mentality more so sometimes than I think an action. Now, what do I mean by that? I believe that part of the giftedness of the Holy Spirit and part of growing in faith and, and, and living a life well lived like we talked about last week is that God creates a desire in our heart to do the things He's laid on earth. Yes, there are times when it's a drudgery. Yes, there are times when it's difficult. Yes, there are times when we don't want to do what we've been called to do. But I believe as we grow in faith and I believe as we grow uh, in our understanding of Christ and our closeness to Christ and our love for Christ, that more and more those things become the desires of our heart. And so I say that to say this. Sometimes, uh, and I've encountered this with a lot of students I've interacted with, sometimes I, I find people saying, I, I really feel like this is where my joy is, this is where my bliss is, this is where I, I really enjoy ministry, this is where I really enjoy working. And I feel guilty about that. Because shouldn't I be, you know, like suffering for Christ? You know, but I, I really love this. So should I get away from these things that I love so that I can then go do things that are more sacrificial? And, and if, that's, if that's how you're taking what I'm saying or what Paul's saying, I, I think you're misunderstanding what Paul's getting at here. This is why I say it's more of a mindset. By mindset, what I mean is it's a readiness to do whatever God calls you to. But Jesus promised us what? He promised us abundant life, joyful life, life to the fullest, which means we are going to find joy in doing the things that he's given us. Over time and in many ways, we're going to find that joy. We're going to find that power. We're going to find that bliss in doing those things. And that's good. That's okay. It's good to enjoy our service to Christ. It's good to enjoy the things that he allows us to do. I love serving as, as pastor. I love getting up and being able to, to break down the word and teach the word. You know, um, I think I've shared this before, but one of my favorite scenes in, in a movie is from the movie The Rookie. I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a baseball movie. A uh, guy discovers he can throw 90 per, mile per hour pitches in his, in his upper years. And, and they're like, okay, this is crazy. And there's this scene where he's, he's in the minor league still. And he's, he's got a friend with him. And, and they're looking into the mirror that morning, getting ready to go out. He says, you know what we get to do today? We get to play baseball today. And and the joy in his voice is what? He's, he's like, I can't believe I get paid to go play baseball. 
I can't believe this is my life. I get to play baseball for a living. That's, that's wonderful. That's amazing. That's outstanding. That's how I feel about being a pastor. You know what I get to do today? I get to preach God's Word. I get to read God's Word. I get to study God's Word. And that should be our mindset about our lives and, and our ministries and, and everything we do. I get to share my faith. I get to tell somebody today how awesome God is. I get to, I get to sing God's praise. I get to play for God's glory. These are the things that, that should enliven us and excite us. I think that's, that's a, a very much a part of it. But the servanthood aspect of it says that even in those days when I'm not feeling that, I'm going to do it because I'm faithful. Why? Because Christ was faithful to me. Christ is faithful to me. Never has he abandoned me. Never has he let me down. Never has he led me down a path that was less than wonderful. Even in those times that were extremely painful, hurtful. Those times that were confusing. He was right there with me. And if he's faithful with me through those times, I can be faithful to him in those times when I'm not really feeling it, so to speak. Verses 6 through 8, he goes on to, to talk about humility, humble ministry. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us, and I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. He says, that, he says I, I'm using the example of me and Apollos so that you too can understand humility and understand that the things we boast about, the things we get excited about, are things we didn't earn. Things we didn't ourselves develop. He's already mentioned this in chapter 3. He's going to mention it again later on. But the heart of the Christian faith is what? It's grace. Which is what? God giving to us and God providing for us things that we could not do for ourselves. Whether that's salvation or understanding Him in our journey or sharing our faith or understanding His Word or even just the ability to pray. I mean, think, think about it. Just the, the simple act of prayer, something that we teach our children from the very youngest ages to do. What a precious gift that is. It's not a right. It's a gift to be able to go to God and take our hurts, 
our worries, our concerns, our joys, and talk to him. The God who created all things, the God who holds everything in his hand, wants to hear from you. That's a gift. That's a gift. We we look we we look all the time at you know at these celebrities who do things that are kind of extraordinary. I guess we call them. There was a story uh, in the news that it kind of touched me. Um, there was a, a autistic boy in, in the Ukraine uh, who really had trouble kind of just understanding all the things that were going on, all the things that were, they were dealing with. And they had to, they, they were trying to evacuate. They were trying to get out of the Ukraine, you know, with the bombs coming in and Russians coming in and all that. And so his mom said, we have to go to Germany because we're going to meet John Cena there. He was a big wrestling fan. He loved wrestling. And, and, and he was just very much involved in that. And just, I mean, he had T-shirts, he had posters, he had all those stuff. Really just a John Cena, just fanboy. Okay, just crazy about him. He says, we have to go to Germany so that we'll meet John Cena there. Okay. And so the, the boy was like, okay, well, let's go. Okay, I, I don't mind leaving for that reason. I, I want to meet him. Well, apparently word somehow got to John Cena that this had been the mom's tactic. So he flew to Germany and went, met with this little boy. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty great. That's a pretty great action on his part. It's a gift to that mother, to that son. Okay? But that pales in comparison to what God has done for us, the gifts God has given us. Christ left the glory of heaven. And all that was involved there to come and live in our midst, to breathe the air that we breathe, to be, to be called names, to be abused and persecuted and ultimately dying on a cross. Our whole faith is built upon a gift from God, multiple gifts from God. How on earth then can we be arrogant about any part of it? How can we look at this and say, well, look what I do. Aren't I a great person? I'm so much better than that person over there. You know, those mindsets so often pop into our heads. I'm glad I'm not like them. And it ought to be, I'm a sinner saved by grace. One person described evangelism, and it's my favorite definition of evangelism, as one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's what sharing Christ is. We're all just beggars needing the bread of heaven, needing that life that only God himself can Third thing Paul says goes along with that one, and that is that radical servanthood involves willing sacrifice. Verses 9 through 13, he says, For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, 
in the last place, like being condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You have distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we, are, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. Now think about that. Again, we, we develop these mindsets about these individuals, Peter and Paul and all this. We, we put them on this pedestal. We see what God has done in their lives and how God has worked. and We see the power that they displayed in, through their faith and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we look at them and we say, man, those are men of honor. Those are, are women of courage. Those are, those are people of strength and power. Oh, to be them. But I think too often we have the mindset that we can be like them without having to sacrifice like them. That somehow we can have the, the honor and the power and, and the expressions of who God is without having the beatings and the torture and, and, and the, the mistreatment that they went through. How many times was Paul stoned almost to death? How many times was he beaten? How many times was he jailed? imprisoned for his faith. And again, it, it wasn't because Paul was somebody who was not easy to get along with, or it wasn't because Paul was a jerk to the authorities and people. Paul says what? We responded graciously when they attacked us. Too many Christians today are preaching hate and, and expressing things that are just full of, of, of anger and, and just expressions that don't reflect who Christ is at all. And then they wonder why people don't listen or why people don't like them. It's not the message they're proclaiming. It's the hatred they're spewing. You can be true to the Word of God and the ethics of the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, what's right and what's wrong. You can be true to all those things and still be a person of love and graciousness. Those are not contrary ideas. And when that is in place, then we have a, 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 a place to say something about being sacrificial for Christ. Anybody can be mean and angry and a jerk and say all sorts of rotten things. Anybody, that's easy. The hard work comes when we hold to the integrity of who Christ made us and the integrity of what's right and what's wrong, but we do so while still loving the people we're preaching to, we're talking to, we're ministering to. That's where the hard work, that's where the sacrifice comes in because we have to put aside our arrogance. We have to put aside our I told you so. We have to put aside our, our mindsets that we're better than these other people. We have to 
work and function and operate in a way that says, treat me how you will, I'm going to love you nonetheless. So Paul calls us here to sacrificial life, this giving, to being treated like everyone's garbage. Think about that. You know, we have t-shirts and hats, child of God, you know, believer, you know, those sorts of things. Those are great. I have no objection to that. But how many of us would be willing to wear a shirt that says everyone's garbage? I remember in DFW, we had a, a drive that developed. It was a, parachurch organization called I Am Second. Uh, you can visit their website and so forth. Um, and I, uh, I remember working with them and so forth uh, at my previous church and doing some things with them. And, uh, I got a hat from them that just says I Am Second. And I was wearing it on a trip. And the flight attendant was like, I Am Second? Why on earth would you call yourself Second? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> Because it's not expected. That sort of mindset. But it's necessary if we're going to truly reveal who Christ is, who Christ has called us to be. The next thing that Paul says that we're called to is apparent like love and concern. Verses 14 and 15. For I, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children, for you have many countless instructions in Christ, but you don't have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Remember, Paul's dealing with first-generation Christians. <coughs> this is the first <coughs> generation of people who have been introduced to Jesus Christ, who have heard who Christ is. They, they didn't have the benefit of having a father raise them in the love of Jesus. They didn't have fathers, many of whom were still around, who could point to them and help them to understand God's word and what it looks like or be examples of what that looks like in the life they lived. They didn't have any of that. So Paul says, I got to be your father. whether we're talking about fathers or mothers or whatever, we have a gift to invest in people, to love people, to encourage people in their walk. Today is Father's Day. And um, my, my father passed many years ago. But there's never a day like today where I don't reflect upon how he poured into me a love for Jesus. How he instructed me and taught me what it meant to be a Christian. And he wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination, nor am I. But he showed me, he taught me what it meant to invest in somebody else, even at the cost of your own comfort. And that's what Paul's calling us to, whether we're men or women. He's calling us to invest in people at the cost of our own 
to have that kind of parental concern. Kids are costly. Not just in terms of finances, but in terms of time. The things you want to do that you can't do because the kid's not feeling well. Or, you know, they got school the next day, so you gotta you gotta be home because they gotta be home. You know, there, there's that sacrifice that goes into being a parent. Paul says that needs to be a part of who we are as believers too. Then he talks about exemplary living as an expression of radical servanthood. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is why I've sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. It's a pretty bold statement on Paul's part. Follow me as as I follow Jesus, he says elsewhere. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That doesn't come out of arrogance, though. That comes out of a person who is committed to walking in the way that Christ has called us. Paul's not saying he's perfect. He says elsewhere, what? I'm the chief among sinners. He knows who he is. He knows where he's been. He knows how he's gotten to the place he's at. But he says he's encouraging us to live lives that are models for what it means to be a believer. There's the old cliche, you may be the only Jesus some people ever see. There's truth in that. More and more so, there's truth in that. Live lives that reflect the ethics, the morals, the, the, the calling of Jesus on our lives. Paul encourages us to do here. Now, how is all this possible? How are we able to do this? Because, man, this is, this is quite the list. You, you look at those things, faithfulness, humility, sacrifice, parental love, exemplary living. How on earth? Can any of us do that? And that, that's way above my capacities, way above my abilities. Well, Paul gives us the answer here in the closing verses of chapter 4. Now some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk but the power of those who are arrogant. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. What do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He's talking about the arrogance that has developed here in the church. He says, what's that coming from? Is it from the fact that you've been able to build a power base here in the church? Is it the fact that you can talk a little bit louder than everybody else? And so you can boast a little bit better than anybody else? Or does it grow out of a spiritual endowment? It's the Holy Spirit, the one who's driving your activities. And this is his warning here. He says, either you get in line with the Spirit, or you get in line with correction. One of the two is going to happen. How are we able to do these things? How are we able to, to live this life? The presence of the Holy Spirit transforming us. 
working in us, driving us, directing us, guiding us. How do we get the Holy Spirit? By accepting Jesus Christ. Asking Christ to come into our life, to change us, to transform us, and then allowing His Spirit as He dwells within us to speak to us and being attentive to what the Spirit has to say. When He says, go here, we go there. When He says, don't go there, we don't go there. And as we listen and as we obey, we are connected to the Spirit and we experience His power. He grants us, He gifts us the capacity for humility and faithfulness and sacrifice, things that are beyond our own capacities, things that are beyond even our own desires. The Spirit transforms us. He creates a new heart, and we grow and we mature. But it all begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, I want to close with, with, this, with this truth. Being a believer means I'm joined heir for Jesus. I'm royalty in some senses. But to understand that is not to reject the idea of servanthood. I love this quote from Bill Johnson. Royalty is my identity. Servanthood is my assignment. And intimacy with God is my life source. How are we able to be servants while being royal? Intimacy with God. Walking with God. Understanding God. Loving God. Listening to God. Having God manifest himself in our lives as we submit to his desires. That begins at the point of salvation. When we surrender our lives to Christ and say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. I need you directing my steps. It continues as we obey, as we practice the five spiritual disciplines we've been talking about. Prayer and worship and fasting, and Bible study and evangelism. As we carry those out, we, we, we grow in our faith. We grow in our understanding. And one day we'll have that perfect, intimate connection with God when Christ returns in power. He cracks open that sky. and He returns to call his own to himself. We look forward to that. But it all starts right now, right here, with your relationship with Jesus. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to him? If you have, are you walking in the power of the Spirit? Are you listening to the Spirit? Are you growing in the Spirit? Are you understanding more and more about who God is because you're walking in faithfulness? It's a relationship, y'all. It's not a set of rules. It's not a set of steps. It's a relationship. And just like any relationship, it requires time. It requires energy. It requires focus. That's what Christ calls us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for each person here. God, I pray that you move in hearts and minds here this morning. That you'd help us, Lord, to 
to truly understand more clearly what it means to be your follower, your disciple. God, I pray that if there's anyone here who's never experienced the, the salvation, the hope, the change that you alone can provide, God, I pray that you would draw them and that they would respond to faith. God, I pray that you'd be with myself and my fellow believers here, that you'd help us to, to continue to grow, to continue to mature in, in our faith and in our understanding of who you made us to be. Help us to become who we are. Help us to become the, the people that you've called us to be. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.